Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It is a Monday, best day of the week. That means Ari Wasserman is here, at least for now, because Ari's moving to Friday once the games start. And uh, and then Ari and I will be making bets and paying them off and in very embarrassing fashion, hopefully for Ari and not for me. We've already made our first bet. We have not yet figured out the stakes of that bet, but uh, for week one, actually, we could probably do a week zero bet if we wanted to, Ari, but for week one, we do have... I am giving you 15 points in the LSU-UCLA game. You, you, you are getting UCLA plus 15, and I'm being very magnanimous here, but I just believe I am right. Well, first of all, we are in mid-season form right now in the middle of August if you're giving me 10 extra points in a spread. You never did that last year. I mean, that's a, a huge leap, and there was a pretty important injury at LSU, and I don't know if that makes, yeah. you, makes you fret a little bit, I know that there no, were two quarterback I figured, battles, I, or there was a I, battle there. I thought Max John, I thought Max Johnson was going to wind up being the quarterback by the end of the year anyway. So I know, but this is week one, and you're giving me ten extra points. Yeah, and now they're not going to be changing quarterbacks <laughs> in the middle of week one. Okay, so, I'm just trying to get you to sweat a little, man. You know what I love about you no. in our bets too is that even one, the second you make a bet, you are so convinced that there's no possible way that you could be wrong that anything could could happen it, it doesn't matter what it would be you would just be like that's fine <laughs> so it's like give me those 10 it is it is the only way to live Ari it's yeah. the only way love that because about right you. now there's just there is there is no doubt in my mind just as there is no doubt in my mind that Pitt was legit last year and then as that game was going on there was no doubt in my mind that they were going to win it <laughs> and when they lost man. it there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to be able to swallow that mayonnaise yeah I was wrong on all accounts, but that's okay. I'm wrong a lot. We are going to make some people happy today, Ari, because I got some complaints after the last episode where Ralph Russo and I talked about how we're going to watch college football in the next few years and also uh, our concept of SEC land at Walt Disney World, which, by the way, is going to be tremendous. It, it, one ride that, that was added, the, the listeners decided to add uh, the coaching carousel. Uh, it, it goes 100 miles an hour, stops very suddenly, but the kids land safely on a pile of cash. It's going to be tremendous. But there were some people who were mad about this because we weren't talking enough football. And you know, so I promised that you and I were going to break down Indiana's too deep for this entire episode. I think we should probably do uh, – we, we can get to that. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you are quite ready. Can, can you go too deep at every position for the Hoosiers? If I went – and made up names throughout the two deep. How many percentage of the like? What percentage of the listening audience do you think would even know they're made up? One. I don't know. We we got a lot of now the the folks at Home Field advertised with us for a while. They're they're good Hoosiers. They listen to every episode, so they all know. What everybody else? I, I I don't know about that. Let's start with left guard Jeff Stevenson. What do you think of him? Oh, I think he's wonderful. Uh, I think he's done a great job and. 
Uh, he's put himself in a position to be in the mix. That's one of my favorite Philip Fulmerisms, by the way, when, when I covered Tennessee. Somebody would ask about a player, and you could tell that, that Coach Fulmer wasn't quite ready to, uh, to offer an analysis of that player because either he didn't remember seeing it practice or uh, just did, didn't want to say anything too bad because he didn't, didn't know if he was going to play or not. And so he would say, he's put himself in a position to be in the mix. It's like the base minimum. I think isn't signing a national letter of intent doing something to put yourself in the mix? It is. It, it you've put yourself in a position to be in the mix. Now, I listen. <laughs> I, I'm kind of kidding. Indiana's got some really good players. They do. So we we got Taiwan Mullen, Trayvon Mullen's little brother, who uh, who by the way signed with our friends at Homefield, so uh, he should have some T-shirts coming out soon. But yeah, we we can go down this entire depth chart. Um, CO, I, I'm going to butcher this name, but he is going to be good. The new, the new starting nose tackle, uh, CO Nofo Agatotoa, Agato Atoa. Nailed it. I'm going to get that one. <laughs> yeah. He, he's, uh, he's from that high school in Clearwater where they, they get the kids from other countries and have them play in America for a year or two. And all of a sudden they they sign with D1 schools. And so uh, a Joe, a Joe, the receiver at Clemson is from there. Uh, Indiana's got two guys from there. It, you're going to see a lot of those international players that, that are popping up out of there. But yeah, so we're going to have, we're going to have a lot of those. By the way, did you know that Indiana has positions on the defense called bull and Husky? I did. Yes. What do you think the Husky does? The Husky is a hybrid linebacker, isn't it? It's a hybrid safety linebacker. It's, yes. Yeah. That, yes. That's, uh, that's Marcelino McCurry Ball, who missed all of last season with an injury and is coming back this year. Because everybody has fun Indiana names State for that program. Position. I, actually do know their, I actually do know their depth chart. So. But the Hus- there's always one position just, that's named something weird um, in every that, – that hybrid safety linebacker position is a bullet at some places – what was it yeah. at Michigan at one point? It was a funny name at Michigan. I, I, there, and I there's did, been one. I have a. It's a, been called the Strike. Alabama the, has the Jack linebacker. The Jack. Uh, yeah, that's another one. Yep. And I'm I, just waiting I, for someone to do. You, like, I didn't know what position someone, it was, but it's always that position. So I'm happy I got it right. The bull has well, to be. Well, it's not always that. Right. It's not always that position because the Jack linebacker is the Jack and the bull in Indiana's are about the same thing. That's the that's the edge rusher hybrid. So the, the Husky bull, is the safety linebacker hybrid. The bull makes a lot of sense to me because you would think bull rush or, you know, just what a bull would do. Husky, I don't Although know. Although if the bull rush is the only move you got, you're not going to get to the quarterback very often from that position. And there's also probably like 240 and you're trying to bull rush offensive tackles. That will not go well. There's also the thing with Husky, too, where it's just like whenever I think of the position that the Husky that you just described is would be like a very athletic and agile person who's big enough to make a play at the line of scrimmage, but athletic enough to cover receiver. And just like, what kind of Husky are we talking about? Are we Husky? Are we talking about a Husky? That's like a, uh, a hunting dog in the snow. Are we talking about the section of the clothing store? I used to have to shop in. Exactly. No, we're talking about the section of Sears where I bought my jeans when I was a kid. No, that's, that's exactly right. No, not, they're not because the, the, this is, 
the guy Indiana has playing Husky has never had to shop in the Husky section. I <laughs> yeah. promise you that. He's <laughs> he's a Husky solidly back, built like yeah, he's a solidly built like 220. So <laughs> I'm he's, 34 he's years old fine. and I still think I'm Husky. Uh, I I definitely am still Husky. So uh, yeah. 226 for for Marcelino McCrary ball. So that that yeah, he's he's never actually had to shop in the Husky section. All right. There's your Indiana depth chart breakdown. That's the show. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it was it was a pretty newsy Sunday in the world of college sports. All right, so we probably should talk a little bit about that. Uh, Bobby Bowden passed away very early uh, Sunday morning. We knew that was coming. They, the family had announced that that he had a terminal condition and it wasn't going to be much longer. So rest in peace, Bobby Bowden. I, I wrote the obituary on our site at The Athletic and uh, I just, he's just one of those people that he was unbelievable. All the stuff you read about him, if you met him in person, uh, Danny Cannell told me this. Danny played quarterback for for Coach Bowden in the early 90s. And, and Danny said, everything you read about him, everything people said about him, when you met him in person, it was just better. It was even better. And he's right. He, he, he was one of those guys who could make every person he was talking to feel like the center of the universe. And I talked to, to Brad Scott, who's the, the, the father of Jeff Scott, who's the USF coach. Brad Scott coached at South Carolina, worked with Dabo at Clemson. But he was his, his entry to college football was working with Bobby Bowden, and he eventually became his offensive coordinator at Florida State. And he'd talk about going on recruiting trips with Bobby Bowden. And like his whole thing was get to where the parents said, okay, you can come make the in-home visit. Because once Bobby Bowden made the in-home visit, it was over. Like, Bobby Bowden with mom and dad, done. When you think about college coaches in general, what do you think is the most important quality that these most successful ones have? I think it would be that, right? It would be the ability to... to, Or the closing ability, yeah. yeah. And no, well, it's not just the closing ability and caring are are I think the same thing. One and the same. Yeah. yeah so you're right. The and there are certain coaches in the sport where you talk to them and it feels like you're wasting. They make you feel like you're wasting their time. And there are other yeah. coaches who make you the most important part of their day while you're a part of their day and make you feel like equals to them. And I think in my experience uh, in this profession, the coaches that tend to treat people like equals are the ones that are like that with everybody and make people feel good about themselves. And I admittedly uh, never covered Florida State, and I haven't been around Bobby Bowden. I think I've met him one time. But in the time that I've read about him and what I've known about him, he has like that original coach is or players coaches feeling where that man turned around a program and made college football what it was because of his ability to make you feel important and special. And there are guys in having fun. Right. And that also goes hand in hand. I think, I mean, I think coaches that have the ability to make you feel that way are people who just genuinely not just enjoy their positions as football coaches, but enjoy the game and enjoy life. And, you know, some people make the game, bigger than it is or their time bigger than it is. And those coaches are the ones that I think often succumb to pressure. But if you think about the most dynamic coaches in the game right now, 
A lot of them have the most dynamic personalities. Those are the ones that make parents and players feel comfortable. They're the ones that know, make their teams know that they love them. And I think Bobby Bowden, um, from what I understand about him, the column that you wrote was the person who lived that to the fullest. And that's special. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't think this person would mind me sharing this. Uh, Jeff Scott, the, the USF coach, obviously grew up around those Coach Bowden staffs. He was, he was a young guy. Uh, he was in his teens when, when his dad was working for Bobby Bowden. And he told me that one of the, one of the best things that would come over the headset, because Bowden loved his trick plays. And he wanted to run them at all times. He, he did not care if his assistants said he should not run them. And so he'd call these trick plays. And uh, sometimes it, it, it looked like it would never work and they'd work. And then he'd just get on the headset and say, now y'all boys talk yourself out of some more good plays. Like he was just, he was having a blast the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's, you don't see that very often anymore. And, you know, so we moved to Florida when I was seven I was a South Carolina fan. I, we'd come from South Carolina, so I kept that South Carolina fandom. And so I didn't choose a side in the state of Florida when it came to, to Florida, Florida State, or Miami. But when, when it came to those teams playing one another, I always rooted for Florida State until I actually went to Florida. I, I wanted Florida State to win because of Bobby Bowden, because I liked Bobby Bowden. Like Bobby Bowden was, was this funny genial guy. And then you had Steve Spurrier, who was this meanie who ran up the score. And of course I met Steve Spurrier and realized, oh no, no, this guy's awesome. He's just, he has no filter. He's the (laughs) the funniest person you'll ever meet in your life. But it was great. And it was great that those two were foils for one another. They they were such perfect foils for one another. And, you know, the thing that that you lose about Bobby Ben, because he was so you know, everybody thought, oh, he's so kind and, and he's not such this, this hard-edged football coach, but he was. He was in his own way. His teams were badass. Like, they were the baddest teams in the universe for a long time. And the, the whole 14 consecutive top five finishes, 1987 through 2000, 14 consecutive top five finishes. You're never going to see that again. Like, even, even Nick Saban hadn't been able to do that. Yeah. It's like, I also just feel like the image of Bobby Bowden is the image that you think of. I feel like if I were a screenwriter writing a football movie and I had yes, about he's college the coach football, you'd put in the football, yeah. He's the yep. coach that you would embody the character of one of the coaches around. The straw hat, you know, everything that he, that he, not only accomplished in the game, but just I just feel like that man and pictures of that man is college football. And he, he let his players play. He let them have fun. Like just the, one of the enduring images of, of Florida State and the Bobby Bowden era for me is Dion standing at the bottom of the hill at Clemson, begging them to come down. And a lot of coaches were like, "Get away from there! Don't do that." Bowden didn't do that. He's like, "No, that's what makes Dion Dion. Do it." Yeah, yeah. And I don't think enough could be said about, you know, how special he was at the sport. Yeah, it, it's it's a shame. But 91 years and he lived every one of them to the fullest. And so uh, bless him and his family. And, and I, I think we were lucky to have gotten to to watch all that. I, I really enjoyed watching him coach and uh, honored that I got to meet him and talk to him a few times and uh, through the years and. Uh, got to got to watch Burt Reynolds make fun of him once. That was that was fun. They had a roast of Bobby Bowden in two thousand nine. So that was when when Burt was still alive. And 
Burt Reynolds cracking jokes and then saying that, you know, the the person he's been asked about most in his life is not Sally Field, his co-star in, in Smokey and the Bandit, but but Bobby Bowden. And he's probably right. Yeah. So uh, I just I, I think college football lost a luminary. But what what a life, what a great life. Well led. You know, it, we can all hope to live a life like that. That's, yeah. you know, if, that's if I go if I go as beloved as Bobby Bowden was. I've done something right. Yeah. And it's amazing because as we go on and continue into the show and the topic that we're going to get to today, his legacy and what he built and what he's meant to the, not only Florida state, but the college football community will continue to shine through. And yes, that's, that's a really, really awesome thing. And you know, everything you just said, and I hope one day that, uh, you know, when people look back at me that I did something on this planet that people can remember, you know, won't be as, uh, impactful hopefully you know it is what bobby bowden did but just you know kind of following that that same type of uh yeah, you just wanted to feel that way about you right. that means you did it right that means you 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 lived the way you should live that's all there is to it um one other piece of news that came out our seth emerson our georgia beat writer reported that that scott cochran is away from the georgia team georgia released a statement saying he's he's taking some time to work on, on mental health and so We'll see what happens with uh, with Scott Cochran, but that was big news last season when he moved from being Alabama's strength coach to Georgia's special teams coordinator. Had a pretty good first year, and we, we knew he'd be able to recruit just because of his personality, but uh, now he's stepped away. In comes Will Muschamp, who is working as an analyst at Georgia, and and you know he's back on the field now. I don't I don't know that he wanted to be back on the field in these circumstances, but. Now Will Muschamp, an on-field coach for his alma mater. So we, we'll see how that goes. I think we're going to probably talk about Georgia on the field a little later in this show as well. Uh, let's uh, let's get into the topic of the day because this is something I was kidding before about the Indiana two-deep depth chart. But there's a reason we haven't really hit the actual on-field football that hard. One is realignment. But another part of it is, if I'm being completely honest here, Ari, we don't know anything. Like, we didn't get to watch any spring practice anywhere. We've really not gotten to talk to a lot of people in person. There was there was media days, but now everybody's back on Zoom. You know, the the level of information is so poor right now in terms of what we can find out about the actual teams that we're really just guessing. I, I can I will be the first to admit this. And I know there's some other folks in our business who will say, oh, no, no, I've got all the inside info. You are a liar. You do not. I can tell you right now, you don't. Yeah. I mean, the sport in general is very hard to project, you know, just based on, you know, how things can go off the rails, you know, which teams are going to come together. You know, I know that we or at least I bang the recruiting Bible against everyone's heads every week, but even that isn't infallible. Uh, and, and you put yourself in a position too, where there are so many players coming back in extra eligible years that wouldn't have otherwise been able to be on teams. It is really kind of hard to sift through. And it, it's pretty easy to sit back and say, Hey, you know, you got these, o- the, the win totals, the over unders, the five or seven teams that will be considered playoff contenders and all that stuff. And we might even hit on a few of those, but in terms of like, which team is going to be this year's BYU, or which team is going to be this year's Coastal Carolina. I mean, the reason why those runs are special is because nobody did that or, or picked that before they happened. So, you know, to me, a lot of that, too, is just watching it unfold and, which, and viewing teams and watching them on Saturdays and saying, hey, you know what? That team's got something this year. 
And, you know, it's very, very hard to project, but we're going to try our best here. We'll be right back after these words. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're going to talk about the teams we think might surprise some people because it is... It is the best part of every football season when that team comes out of nowhere. You know, when the Coastal Carolina just comes out uh, out of the woodwork. And listen, we knew the Raging Cajuns were going to be good in the Sun Belt last year, and we know that that Appalachian State is almost always good. Coastal Carolina being what it was was a very pleasant surprise. You know, we knew Liberty was going to be pretty good. We didn't know how good Malik Willis was going to be. We knew. North Carolina had improved under Mac Brown. We didn't know they were going to be an Orange Bowl team in his second year. So there's a lot of there's a lot of that we got to figure out because there will be these teams this year. We just don't know who they are, and so I think we should should try to give the folks a a little taste of it. So Ari, who who do you have coming out of the shoot? Like who who do you think is going to be? the team that we are talking about in October, not necessarily a national title team, but a team we're talking about in October, November. Wow. We didn't, we didn't see that coming. You know, the, the prompt basically, cause Andy sends me the prompt, you know, a few hours before we record. And the prompt was, which team do you think is going to break out this year? And the first team, I didn't say that. I said, surprise team, surprise teams. I, I, I read, I, I read breakout, but the first team that came to my mind was UCLA. And I know that this is a weird. Uh, you mean time after to do I, I it, just gave you just fifteen done, points, giving me fifteen points in a game against UC or against LSU, which I still think you're going to be wrong about. Uh, but I think that in the Pac-12, there aren't a lot of barriers to get some wins and get them in a hurry. I think that Chip Kelly deserves some respect as a program builder, even if. The the way that he did it in Oregon is not as easy or maybe impossible in the current state. I think they've got a very good quarterback and, um, you know, has a chance to maybe flirt with eight or nine wins this year and make you feel like, hey, this is something to track moving forward. So here's my thing, Ari. I still think I'm right about the LSU game, but I also think you're right. Those th- those two things can both be true. I just think LSU is going to be really good this year. And I, I would include them in my surprise teams, but if you've been listening to this podcast for the last three months, you know I've, I've been telling you all along LSU is going to be good. So I don't think that's not a surprise to you if you've been listening. You know I'm going to say that. So here's what you need to know about UCLA last year. In a weird Pac-12 season, they did manage to play seven games, which most Pac-12 schools did not get to play that many games. They're, they were three and four 
But the largest margin of defeat was in the season opener, a 48-42 loss at Colorado. Every other game was closer than that. They lost by three to Oregon, which wound up winning the league. They lost by five to UCLA, and they lost by one to Stanford in double overtime at the end of the season. This is a team that a, the ball bounces a couple different ways, is a good team that we are saying is a Pac-12 South contender going into the season. And I think that when everything was really clicking for them was a game they ended up losing. Uh, and it was a game where I got into a ton of trouble with a tweet that I made with Texas A&M fans. Um, but USC, UCLA last year was one of the most entertaining games of the 2020 season. And the thing that I think is most encouraging about what we saw from UCLA last year is that they started scoring. You know, in the first parts of the Chip Kelly era there, offense looked a little discombobulated at times. It didn't seem exciting. But like last year, they clicked at, in stretches, and it looked like the beginning of something super special. And if you look at their schedule, obviously they've got UCLA, or I mean LSU, sorry, week two. But they have Hawaii as an opener in week zero. They have that LSU game. Then they have Fresno State, Stanford, Arizona State, and Arizona. And if you look at that, even if they lose to LSU, hopefully not by more than 15 points, I think that you could make the case that they could win all those games. And there's a chance that they could be going into Washington State in mid-October at 5-1. and one. And at that point, you've got Washington, Oregon, Utah, Colorado, USC. That's a really tough five-game stretch. But if they get things rolling early, feel good about themselves, Chip Kelly's figured something out there, I think you have a chance to make some waves in the Pac-12 because the door's open. And their their schedule is, is pretty back-heavy. So to me, I think those first five games are going to be crucial. And I, if you're wrong, especially in that LSU game, I think that's even better if they play that game close. And I think they might. So uh, I just think you should be looking out for them. You know, there's a new team every year, and too, if they're, they're five and five and one with a close loss to LSU, that might be something super exciting for them. If they're five and one with a with a 19 point loss to LSU, it means you've had to eat like 12 fillet of fishes because you lost the bet. You're rewarding and me. We'll all, we'll get to, we'll get to both be right. You're going to reward it's me. Not going to be a reward. You're not going to enjoy that. You will not enjoy that. How many do you think I would be able to eat before it would start being a problem for me? Four. Yeah, I think that's I think probably you start right. getting sick at four. I think if you had to eat 12, it would take you a day and a half. And you'd never look at one again. After. When's the last time you ate a filet fish High school. They're not heavy. Ari, you're walking yourself into this. No, I know. I don't. I like. I don't. I think my fiance would divorce, like pre-divorce me if I did that, uh, because we have a, a little bit of a health regimen here. I've been spinning. I got. I really got. We have a wedding venue for May one next year. Like, I really need to get my butt into shape. And I can't imagine if I was like, "Sorry, honey, got to go to McDonald's. I lost a bet to Andy Staples. I've got to try to eat twelve filet fishes in ten minutes, uh, or whatever well, it is." Or, well. I, I think we, we just put this on the Bruins if if you blame them. That's what you got to do. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about that as we get closer. I think I could eat six but, in one sitting without a problem. But back to the Bruins. Dorian Thompson-Robinson misses two games in the middle of the season. Chase, Chase Griffin, the future president of the United States, takes over and 
and plays pretty well. But where you saw them at their best was was against Arizona and Arizona State when when DTR was really humming. His stat line against USC, by the way, was was outstanding with the exception of a couple of interceptions. You know, 30 of 36 for 364 yards. It's a 10.1 yards per attempt average. And then four TDs. That offense was humming. That offense is if that's the offense they have this year. And remember, he got hurt against Stanford, so that he didn't finish that game. But if that's the offense that they play this year and he's healthy, I think you're going to be right. I don't know if I'm going to be right in week one, but I think you're going to be right overall. So we'll we'll see about that. Let me me give you one, another surprise team. Now, I don't think this team's going to win a conference title. I don't even think it's going to win its division. But I think it's going to be pretty good. And I think it's going to make things very interesting because it has something that I always say you've got to have to be really good, and they have it, and that's Kentucky. Now, listeners to this podcast know how we feel about Mark Stoops. We know how we feel about his recruiting uh, strategy. That They've done a great job going into Ohio and into basically into Big Ten states and saying, hey, come play in the SEC. But the use of the transfer portal and a coaching change, I think is going to make this really interesting because look at Kentucky the past couple of years. Two years ago, their quarterback situation is, is horrendous. They basically end up running the option and are still pretty good. You know, they, they, sent, they sent Bud Foster out with a loss in the bowl game running the freaking triple option. And it was just, it was unbelievable. Now, last year, they couldn't do anything offensively. They couldn't throw the ball at all. Could not, could not throw the ball in the ocean. That said, they were still pretty competitive last year. So they change offenses. They hire Liam Cohen from the Rams. He's going to bring in not necessarily the Rams offense, but a, a kind of slimmed down version of it. They're going to be running it probably with Will Levis, the transfer from Penn State, who ran the ball a lot, but Aubrey Snyder, or Audrey Snyder, our, uh, our Penn State beat writer, tells us that he can throw, he just didn't really get a chance to. For whatever reason, when they put him in last year, it was to run. But he can throw. And now you add Wondell Robinson as his top offensive weapon. That was Nebraska's probably most explosive player. He comes home to the state of Kentucky as a transfer. And you've got a, great, a really good offensive line. Like Darian Kennard at the left tackle, Luke Fortner at left guard, uh, Darry Rosenthal, the, the LSU transfer, he slides in at right tackle. This team not only can be much better than Kentucky was in the last two years, they could be really good. Now, does that mean they can beat Georgia and Florida? I don't know. I don't think they can beat Georgia. We'll see about Florida. But if Kentucky is significantly better on offense, this is going to be a tough team to beat. What do you think Kentucky has to do to be uh, considered a surprise? Well, let me back that up for a second. What do you think Kentucky's over/under uh, win total is this year, off the top of your head? If you, had- I believe it's I believe it's seven. If I it's seven if I'm and a mistaken. half, and that's basically what okay. we've come to expect from them. So, do you think is. this is a nine-win team potentially? I could see that. I, I I talked to Matt Jones from Kentucky Sports Radio, and he was trying to talk me into ten. I don't feel 10 yet, but they, you know, they, 
They won 10 with the with the Benny Snell Josh Allen team. So it's not outside the realm of possibility. So let's let's I, we're going let's do some go down to schedule radio, Ari. <laughs> yeah, Here we go. It. Louisiana Monroe win. Missouri week two. That's an intriguing game. That's a great matchup. Connor Bazelak, Missouri quarterback. If you don't know him already, you're gonna hear a lot about him this year. He's very good. That's in Lexington. If Kentucky wins that, they're in really good shape. I'd say I'm saying that's a toss-up right now. UT Chattanooga, that's a win. At South Carolina, that's a win. So we're we're we're, we're three O and toss-up. We don't know yet. Florida comes to Lexington October second. Oh that's such a brutal three game stretch, bro. <laughs> oh yeah, right at the this big, is this yeah. is where it gets nasty right here for Kentucky. But if they can win one of these, they can win nine games. Florida, LSU, Georgia. <laughs> Two of those are in Lexington. They're at Georgia. I'm, they're, they're not. I'm not giving them any chance in Athens. But then they got Mississippi State, Tennessee, Vandy, New Mexico State, and Louisville. All winnable. They could go nine and three and lose all three of those games. That's right. That's right. This is, this is. I mean, take the over. This is an, at least an eight win team. That's an over, huh? At least. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking at the at schedule least. right now, and I'm just trying to think. Like, it would get kind of rocky we're, we're, there if they lost the Mizzou. That's where it gets messed up. If they lose the Missouri game, but it's at home. You need to win that game if you're Kentucky. If you're if you're going to be what we've said you are, you got to win that game. But if they win that game, that over's hitting. No and question. I, I cannot and it say, may be nine games. I nine cannot wins. say enough about Mark Stoops. What this program has become. The fact that this is yeah. even part of this discussion. I mean, it's it's, it's insane they, to me. They were a doormat under Joker Phillips, an absolute doormat. The fan, the fans who had been really faithful for a long time. You know, everybody talks about it being a basketball school. Kentucky fans showed up year after year after year, but the Joker Phillips years were so bad that they finally were like, you know what? This is, we can't do this anymore. Mark Stoops has brought them back, has given them a good product. They're frustrated with the offense, understandably so. But if if they get a more dynamic offense, and by the way, if Missouri is going to be a tough game, you don't probably have to show too much against ULM. So Missouri's going to probably see it for the first time. They're they're the, probably the one that defense is going to have to get experimented upon. So I, I that's I feel like that's another advantage for Kentucky there. Yeah, I'm looking at Kentucky state of the program right now. 11% returning for passing yards, obviously new quarterback, but they've got 80% of their re- receiving they yards. They had so few passing yards last I know. year. What was 11% of their receiving or, or passing yards last year? 10 um, but they also have a pretty good <laughs> chunk of their uh, offensive line back. And the rushing, I think they didn't they have that Michigan transfer Charbonnet who's uh, running back on their team this year. So they, they, they actually have some talent on that team. And I think I'm with yeah, you on this uh, one. Kentucky has Chris Rodriguez. Chris Rodriguez is one of the best backs. Charbonnet's at UCLA. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I was confused with. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. No. But yeah, we're. But, uh, but, I'm with you on this. I am. I think I'm with you on this. Well, and, and let's not forget, they still have backup running back Cavassier Smoke. One of the greatest names in college football. I feel like if I had a, uh, if I were having a son, I would consider t- changing my last name to a cool football name. 
Well, I, that's what last year when Kentucky played Auburn, I was I was wondering if, if Cavassier Smoke took a handoff and they got tackled by Smoke Monday, would it mean a new Pope was was selected? <laughs> that's a good one. Um, right. Okay, next team. The dad jokes. I got all the dad jokes. Who is your next surprise team, Ari? Um, okay, so bear with me on this. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Georgia. Okay, so before I start making fun of you. Make fun of me. And saying, we already know Georgia's good. What's the surprise? Are they going to be bad? Because I don't think you're saying they're going to be bad. Are you saying this is a degree of surprise that they are going to ascend to a level heretofore unseen? I am saying that Georgia is one of those teams, and Texas is one of these teams too. Where if you say anything good about Let's them, not put them in the same sentence. If you say anything good about either of those two teams, everybody in the comments section that doesn't root for those teams says, "Oh boy, here we go again." Every single year, yes. we and think I, they're going to be you good. The, I'll give you the Georgia one. Yeah, the Georgia one is 1980. The head once is 1980. Yeah, no, we know. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think they're going to win the national title this year. Oh, maybe they will. I don't know. I think they might. They might. I think there's a good chance. I think that they are going to make the playoff this year and play for the national championship. And if they do that, I think that qualifies as surprise. I think I think most like the casual fan would be surprised at that because the casual fan is just assuming that Alabama will win the SEC again and will represent the SEC in the playoff. And look, it could be a year where the SEC gets two in. I don't know. But but I do know that the West is really nasty this year. It's going to be hard. Texas A&M is going to be good. LSU is going to be good. Uh, Ole Miss is going to be one of those teams that can shock somebody, that can, that can beat somebody they're not supposed to. I just think Georgia has a much easier path. And this is it's actually one of those, if they can't get it done with this path, how are they going to ever get it done? Well, let me ask it because this way. Do you think this... Okay, let's assume that JT Daniels is a hit. Let's say he gets mm-hmm. there and he is everything that Georgia fans hope he is. Is this the best team of the Kirby Smart era? It should be. It should Even be. Even better than the one that played for a national championship a few years ago. It's, it's hard to say, do they have the top-end talent that that team had? We don't know yet. We don't know if the offensive line is going to be... As good, you know, I, like Isaiah Wynn was a first-round tackle. So we, we don't know that yet. But we defensively, I mean, they've got a bunch of dudes, a bunch of guys that are going to play in the NFL. Uh, they've got guys on the offense who are going to play in the NFL. Darnell Washington, the, the tight end, is going to play in the NFL. We'll see how Eric Gilbert gets, gets incorporated into that. It would be nice if George Pickens were healthy, but that, it is what it is. Kyrus Jackson, I think, could could be a guy that we talk about throughout this season. He was he was doing fairly well with Stetson Bennett throwing the ball. I think with JT Daniels having an entire offseason that offense, maybe maybe that becomes a, a connection we talk about a lot. From a baseline talent standpoint, after the years of recruiting that this team has done, they, I don't, they the twenty twenty one composite talent rankings haven't been released yet because I think transfers and stuff are still happening. But when they do come out, Georgia is going to be the number one or number two most talented team in college football this year. The expectation is 
that they have a quarterback that's going to be more functional than the quarterbacks they've had. They're also that. loaded at running back. I didn't even mention that. Yeah. They're, they're super loaded at running back. On paper, Georgia seems to be in a position to finally break through. And I think the fans are expecting that. I think they are expecting a team that has a chance to win the national championship this year. And if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, mistaken, you you think that they have a real good chance to win the national championship this year. I do. I really do. I I, I think that path where obviously they have to play Auburn every year. We don't know what Auburn's going to be under Brian Harson, But Florida has to play Alabama and LSU out of the West this year. We know they're both going to be really good. You know, Georgia gets Auburn and Arkansas. I think Georgia has a better better path than anybody. And they play Clemson early. They play them in Charlotte. But we've talked about this a few times already. They don't have to win that game to win the SEC and win the national title. Yeah. And they don't play Alabama in the regular season this year. Correct. So right. And Florida does. Yeah. And if you look so at the schedule. That, that's the problem. First of all, I think Georgia's going to win the game against Clemson. And – if and when they do that, then you're looking at a, a, a schedule here that's then UAB, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, and they don't play Florida to the last weekend of October. And then they close out the season with Missouri, Tennessee, Charleston, Southern, and Georgia Tech. Find two losses in there, Andy. It's it's really hard. It's really hard unless unless Florida comes up and shocks them. Unless Florida under Emory with Emory Jones at quarterback is just an unstoppable offense. Because we don't know how much better Florida's going to be on defense. The hope for Florida is they get better on defense, but it is a lot of the same guys. You so can't you don't find know a single, how much they're going to improve. Sometimes when you play that game of schedule, you can find an automatic loss. And I think maybe if Alabama were in – I don't even know if I would do it with Alabama this year, man. I would, it's not I, an automatic – there is no automatic loss when you're as talented as Georgia. I don't like, think there's a if, single game that I would think – Yeah. I, there's no game on their schedule where I'd pick them to lose. I'll say it. Like yeah. I and I don't know if you're going to be against me on this one, but another bet for September fourth might be the Georgia Clemson game. I'm on the Georgia side, so if you want to go against no, that, that's I, fine. I, I think they're going to win it too. So, yeah. So to me, 1980. Here we go again. Jokes be damned. I think Georgia has a legitimate chance of making an, the the playoff and winning a national championship this year. It all depends on the quarterback. We all know that. But that's the case for everybody that has a first-year starter. And, and JT Daniels started games last year. So, like, they should be in a pretty good spot. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let me give you another one. Now, this this team, I 
I'm trying to figure out what, from a numerical standpoint, constitutes a surprise. What's the win total? After what we saw last season, I think this is a, a make-a-bowl kind of surprise team. But I think they may be a little better, even a little better than that. And that's Michigan State. And I'll tell you why. Because you look at this, this situation that Mel Tucker inherited and when he inherited it. You know, everybody else had, had done the traditional coaching carousel thing and hires had been made. I think other than Mike Leach, Mike Leach got hired after the bowl game because they, they fired Moorhead after the bowl game. But D'Antonio didn't step down until signing day, like the day after signing day. And then all of a sudden they had like a week to go hire somebody. You know, they, they went at Mel Tucker twice. They, they got him because they, they just made him an offer he couldn't refuse. But he took over a roster that had basically been running to the ground. And there were games they looked terrible. I mean, they started off the season against Rutgers and looked awful. That game against Indiana, they looked horrible. But they beat Michigan. And more importantly, they beat Northwestern, which was a good team, a team that played for the Big Ten title last year. I got a feeling Mel Tucker's one of those coaches that can get his team up for the huge game. He did it when he was at Colorado when Nebraska came to town. You've seen it a couple times at Michigan State so far. He's gotten a chance to have a spring practice with them, to have his, his strength staff work with those guys for a full offseason. They've done a lot of work on the roster in terms of outgoing transfers and incoming transfers. Uh, we will see what happens at quarterback. Anthony Russo from, from Temple is there. I don't know if he winds up winning that job. They open against Northwestern on a Friday night. Northwestern will be looking for revenge. I wouldn't be shocked if they lose that game. But then I also wouldn't be shocked if they went to Miami and beat them. I think this team could be quite a bit better and maybe a sign of some things to come. I don't know if they're, they're ready to compete with, well, they're obviously not ready to compete with Ohio State. I don't know if they're ready to compete with the Penn States of the world. But I got a feeling Michigan State's going to be quite a bit better. Well, here's the good news about Michigan State. They don't play Ohio State or Penn State to the final two games of the season. Correct. So their schedule is very backloaded. Now, their first two games are at Northwestern, at Miami. That's also a tough start. But in the middle of their schedule, they've got Nebraska, Western Kentucky, Rutgers, Indiana, and Michigan. So like four and a half, I, I, their, their season win total is four and a half. Hammer the over. Where are the four wins then? You have Youngstown State, Western Youngstown Kentucky. State. And Purdue Nebraska. are those the three? I think they're going to Nebraska I, win. I think they're going to beat. I think they're going to beat Nebraska, Western Kentucky. I think they beat Rutgers. I don't know what Indiana is going to be, but I'm going to put that as a loss right now because they they played terribly against Indiana last year. You're going to. I'm going to need a seat on the field. We don't know where Michigan's going to be that at this game's point. Game's always in a coin, coin flip at this point. I agree. Yeah, yeah. And you and I have talked about Michigan's schedule, and this is this is post Wisconsin. Remember. We, we've kind of marked that Wisconsin game for Michigan as the one where things could either get right or go off the rails. So we don't know there. But then they're at Purdue. They got Maryland. I think they easily go over. All right. And I and think I, they might make a bowl game too. This isn't – I don't want you to take this as doubt. Oh, take it – throw doubt. Here throw is – here's my viewpoint of Michigan State. Okay. And I don't know if this is just based on how much – First of all, I don't think that anybody gives Mark D'Antonio enough credit 
for what he built there. Oh, he I was think he, tremendous. He was one of the top five coaches in college football during that five-year But he also deserves all the blame he gets for what happened at the end. Sure, absolutely. But to me, Mark D'Antonio developed a plan. And my favorite thing about college coaches is the ones that develop a plan, execute that plan, and then prove that the plan works. Those are the three prongs. And I think Mark Stoops is another one who we've already you know mentioned on this podcast. Michigan State's plan and Kentucky's plan are the same both of which have done a tremendous job of going into Ohio and getting very good players out of those regions that Ohio State doesn't take because they can only take 25 prospects, a lot of which are from Florida, California, and Texas and Ohio. But they have identified players that can come in and develop into really, really good football players that make the head coach at Ohio State say, oh my God, how did we not get this guy? I think that just takes time. I think Mel Tucker is the perfect hire um, for that because of his background at Ohio State and his background as an Ohioan. Um, but I don't know if and I look well, at Mel let's, Tucker. Let's not forget his back his background working with Nick Saban at LSU and in Alabama and Absolutely. working with Kirby Smart of at course. Georgia. He know he knows what the players who can beat Ohio State look Need like. To now, look like. Can he get them? That can he get them all? No. Not well, right now. He's not getting any of the ones that are on paper already there. What you right. have to do is you have to trust in his ability to identify what those players look like before they get there and then project out correctly. So I don't right. think I look at Mel Tucker as the coach that is going to miraculously get things on track because he's a tremendous X's and O's guru who's going to do things and shock people right away. What I do think is that Michigan State might be very, very good in 2024 or 2025 once the, once these players have been in the program. I, th- and I think have there's developed. a motivational piece to Mel Tucker that we, we've not seen much. He, the sample size of him as a head coach is very small. He had one year at Colorado and then a very truncated year at Michigan State. But what we've seen is that when they are in a big game, they play better than they should. And that... I think is a good thing. I think, you know, you got to work on consistency. You got to do, do all that stuff. And, and like you said, find those players and develop them because you're not going to get the ones that are just five-star right off the bat, but you might have them, them looking like they're supposed to look like you said in 2024. Yeah, and our, our Michigan but state writer always I, makes this joke too, Andy, where every single time they get a commitment, he just says they're over six foot. Mel Tucker is creating a roster that is filled yes. with very large athletic players, some of which aren't as advanced as those four and five star prospects that Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia are getting. But that's not their plan, and it shouldn't be their plan. What their plan? Mm-hmm. I think what Michigan State's plan is, and when Michigan State is it's working, is when they have a team that can push Ohio State to the brink and potentially win a Big Ten championship once every five years. I think that's them at their peak as a program, and Mark D'Antonio. Beat that peak. Had them there. And, it, and yeah, he did absolutely. it. And he made a playoff team at Michigan State. I believe that Mel I believe in Mel Tucker's plan as a head coach more than I believe in Jim Harbaugh's. And I think people went crazy last well, year when you're I said you're a stars matter guy. You're and, and you're a body type. It's interesting because you talk to these Saban guys, and they'll all talk about body types. Body types is one of their favorite phrases. And Mel Tucker's the same way. They have an idea of how a team must look. And it's interesting because, you know, you go, you go to like Scott Satterfield, 
who comes from Appalachian State, who's, who comes at it from a completely di- different direction. His thing is, I'm going to find the speed first. If we can add the size later, great, but we're going to be fast. Mel Tucker comes at it from, I'm going to get the size first, and then we develop the strength and the speed. That's right. Last year's class in 2021, which I guess you could say is his first full class, but also was put in a pretty tough situation, finished number 45 overall nationally. And to me, that's a little low. And and granted, they had uh, you know less than 20 signees at one point, and they have a bunch of transfers that aren't into that equation. But... Michigan State is at its peak when they're in between the 30 and 25 range where they have a bunch of players in the top 300 um, that have the potential to be very, very good but aren't the types of players that the big-time programs are taking because Michigan State has the time and the ability to invest in those players and make them into really good third- and fourth-year players. And right now, Michigan State's ranking is number 15 nationally. Part of that is because they've got 19 commitments already, which is more than most programs have. But you're starting to see these types of players um, kind of coming into their program. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, too, because in that class right now, they don't even have a kid from Ohio right now. So, you know, Mel Tucker is in Michigan. He's in Georgia. He's in Florida. He's in Arizona. I mean, they're, they're kind of nationally recruiting at a pretty high level right now. And I feel like they, if you trust in Mel Tucker's plan as a developer, and I do, I think that they will be very, very good. I don't know that I would look at Michigan State and him in general and say, you know what, they are ready for an eight-win season in year two based on his coaching prowess. I think that his gift as a coach is more so about the long game. I'm not saying you're wrong, but that's why it doesn't jump I'm, out I, to me. Listen, I would not be shocked with a six or seven-win season from them. I just wouldn't. I, I think I think they can do that. I, I think I think you're right about the long game. I think the long game's hard when Ohio State's in your division. But I think you're right. But I, I'm telling you right now, six or seven doesn't feel outside their own possibility for this team. But even so. if you go back and you look at how dominant Ohio State has been, they've always had a nemesis in the conference. And mm-hmm. Michigan State was the arch nemesis for Urban Meyer for four or five years. Right. They got I mean, there. The, they the, were the that. 2013. Yeah, the 2013 Big Ten Championship game is the one we never even talk about. Yeah, now. they the, kicked Ohio the State out of the indoors. national championship. Yeah. Yeah, the, the photo of Urban Meyer after that game endures, but we don't talk about the game at all. But that, that, was, that was the beginning of it. That was just the beginning yeah. of it. And then it went into 2015, and we all talk about that game. But Michigan State, the thing that... I feel like kind of gets overshadowed is it's not even just that game. And you might think that's a weird game. Ohio state's, you know, team It was just a weird night. I was there, but Michigan state didn't just beat Ohio state that year. They made the playoff and they won the big 10. Like that team got to the pinnacle of it. Now beat with the, the undefeated Iowa team in the big 10 championship game, very, 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 very good football team. Now there's a ceiling to those types of football teams. Cause there's always going to be an Alabama waiting for you. You know, and Ohio State, to a certain extent, should have been in that Alabama category that year, but they didn't. And I believe that Ohio State is an albatross around a lot of these uh, teams' necks, but I also don't believe that Ohio State's resume as a program has been good enough to say that they're unbeatable. In fact, they've been very beatable for the last 10 years. They've been they've been vulnerable. Now, they haven't lost a regular season game uh, under Ryan I say, Day. I would argue that under Ryan Day, they've not 
shown that vulnerability. Right. So, right. so we'll wait, see. We're waiting Maybe for that's that to changing. Happen. But it's not like the Ohio State teams that were built like this uh, over the course of the past seven years since the beginning of the Urban Meyer era weren't susceptible to losing to the Penn States and Michigan States of the world because they did it repeatedly. All right. We have, we've given the people what they wanted, Ari. Hardcore football talk that is really just guessing because we don't know. Guessing is podcasting. It's fun. It's the same thing. Those are synonyms. I know. It's exactly right. And, and if we, what did we give you? Four surprise teams? Five, six surprise teams? If even one of them hits, we're like, we told you we'll pull this clip. And like, remember when we told you about this? Even if the other ones all stink. Do you want to do a quick speed round? Because we t- uh, discussed a few. We don't have to go in yeah, depth on Yeah, them. go for it. Arizona's okay, win total is two and a half. I think that might be yes. a five-win team. I don't know. Well, see, be- I mean, Jed Fish, Jed Fish comes in, brings a lot of energy, brings a, a completely different philosophy, and then the bottom of the Pac-12 South feels a little murky. So I have no idea what they're going to be. Um, and we talked – we and just and you tell me if I'm crazy, and then we can go on to the random ranking. Mizzou. Well, exactly. I mean, that's why we said that Mizzou-Kentucky game on September 11th could be very telling. Now, I talked a lot. I've done a lot of radio with uh, with Aaron Murray lately, the former Georgia quarterback. He will not stop raving about Connor Bazelak. And that's what it feels like if you talk to the quarterbacks, the, ex, the, the guys who played quarterback, they love that guy. That's the guy in the SEC who is their favorite. And I think that, that, that means something. And I think Eli Drinkwitz is a good coach. I think Drink is doing an incredible job there. It might take a few more years because the talent accumulation is finally, you know, kind of getting to where it should be. But that's one that jumps out to me, and the Kentucky game will be telling. How about another one in the same kind of vein as Georgia? Is Oregon going to make the playoff this year? Okay, so Oregon, Ohio State, I guess we're all assuming that that Ohio State just rolls them, but what do we really know? Like, Ohio State is going to start a quarterback who hasn't thrown a pass in college yet. Now, that he will have that at that point because they've got a game in week one. But we don't know what they're going to be like the first time they're facing down Kayvon Thibodeau coming at him. Yeah. Also, in the same way that the Georgia-Clemson game doesn't matter, I don't think that matters for, for Oregon. I think if Oregon loses no. by 14 or less points and plays a pretty good game and it's an entertaining football game, they could win the Pac-12 and make the playoff. Yeah, like, is, be respectable. Is, is Oregon going to be the team that finally saves the Pac-12 from itself? That would be a surprise. They have the best chance. I I don't think that'd be a surprise. I think we've been watching Mario Cristobal build that roster, and they're the only one with a chance to. I know everybody keeps saying, well, USC, USC. USC, until they can prove that they can be good at the line of scrimmage, is not going to be that team. They're just not. They need to have multiple draft picks on their lines of scrimmage. And I I know that Elijah Vera Tucker was a first-rounder. Jay Tufele... I think when the second or third round of Jacksonville, I think it was third rounder to Jacksonville, but they need multiple first and second round linemen. That's what Alabama has. That's what Ohio state has. That's what Clemson has had on their D line. Like you have to have that or you will not be a nationally elite program. Oregon's going to have that. They just had Penny Sewell go in the top 10 at offensive tackle. Kayvon Thibodeau is a top five draft pick as an edge rusher. They've got more offensive linemen that could be NFL draft picks in the first, second, third rounds. That's the kind of team that can compete for a national title. That's the kind of roster. And so Oregon's the one that gives the league a chance. None of the other teams in the league give the league a chance to actually compete with those teams. Okay, one last one, Andy. Ready? 
All right, go for it. He's doing a hook'em sign. You knew this was coming. <laughs> you knew he was going to say Texas. I, I, I got to stay on the brand, right? I'm a big. Ho- I've been a Texas homer for years. Somebody commented. I've been a Texas homer you, for years. You just okay. So you are so <laughs> affected by your entire Stars Matter outlook that you cannot comprehend that there's a team that can't make stars work, that they can't take the stars and then develop them into draft picks. Although we just got done talking about USC and it's the same thing except worse. Seven and a half win totals. Okay, over that, but that doesn't mean they're going to win the Big 12 or anything. You say that, you know, 10 win, 10 win season is a surprise or like what's a surprise for Texas? That should be the norm. I'm just saying for this year, what would be a surprise? A surprise would be them winning the Big 12. Okay, I'm not going that far. <laughs> oh, right, wait, wait, Mr. Texas has a higher ceiling than Oklahoma. Not, not close to that ceiling, are That's they? That's a completely different discussion than what we're talking about. But yeah, this year, no, I don't think that they're better than Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma has a chance to win a national title this year. It's ceiling. Yes. Yeah. Oklahoma head head kind of nudging the ceiling. Texas, yeah. lots of headroom. I think they maybe can, 10 they wins. They can actually raise their arms and, and not hit the ceiling. What about a 10? What about? I don't think it's crazy to think that Texas could beat Oklahoma based on the recent history of the rivalry. No, because they play each other close. The, the question is, who is Texas going to lose to that they have no business losing to? New coach, new leaf, maybe. 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 Again, if they start losing to Kansas State says, again and, and losing all these close Big 12 games again, and it's the same thing over and over again, then you know, then we're back at it. But let's, when you get let's a new coach, talk. you deserve uh, the idea to think, hey, it might be different. That's the entire reason for a coaching change. Let's talk after week one, because I've said this already on this podcast. You said you wouldn't lay the 10. If they beat Louisiana by one, I will be impressed. If you beat the Raging Cajuns by one, we can talk about Texas being a surprise team and, and maybe not losing to the teams they're not supposed to lose to, because what Billy Napier will bring into Austin is a veteran, well-coached team, the type of team that Texas has lost to in the past 10 years. If they beat them by one, I will be impressed, and then we can talk more. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Let's move on. We got a, we got a random ranking. We, we discussed this last week when we were doing our, our best appetizers, our best chain restaurant appetizers. We're going to go way more general. We were very specific last week. Now we're going extremely general. The best dipping sauces... And this could be anything, really. And we're, we're talking the most general form of it. Not, we're not talking about like Chick-fil-A's this sauce or Arby's this sauce. It is more what, the, the category more than anything else. So Ari, hit us with your number five. You know what? I want you to go first. I feel like I always go okay. first and it's disrespectful. Why don't you go first? Well, it's it's my show, and I want the last word. That's that's oh, okay. Why. All right, then I'll so, go first. No, but I, I will I will go first. No, no, no. We will reverse the order this time. I will go first. My number five is a little 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 outside the box, and and kind of needs a specific thing. And I don't even know if it's a dipping sauce so much as that you sprinkle it on your stuff. But you could also put it in a ramekin or a cup and dip it, and you would get the same 
Same general effect. Malt vinegar. It's not a it's not a dipping sauce. For your fries, for your fried fish. It's like saying salt is a dipping Tremendous. sauce. Tremendous. Tremendous. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I don't know. That, have you ever Why dipped, not dip it? Have you ever dipped a piece of fish into malt vinegar before? Yes. Yes, I have. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. It wouldn't. It would never dawn on me to to list that as a dip. Put that in a ramekin. Just shake it. Shake it into a ramekin. Yeah. As long as you're not one of those psychopaths who takes ketchup and pours it all over their fries instead of dipping it. No, because then you I'll get ketchup all over your. Yeah. You get ketchup all over you your don't, fingers. You don't get it's gross. Salt. Or you don't get yeah. vinegar all over your hands when you do that. Well, if you dip it, you don't. I just. I've never seen anybody dip into vinegar before. And I'm a big mm-hmm. vinegar person. I put it all over my sub Give sandwiches. it a try. Give it a try. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know that I... Although that's not a bad idea either. Maybe I need to start doing that. Like you go to Jersey Mike's and you get Mike's juice. Like if I could get a cup of Mike's juice and dip it, because that's... We're in the age of you order on the app and you pick it up instead of getting it right when you order. And when you order on the app and you pick it up and it's got the, the oil and vinegar on the sub... It tends to make the bread wet. I don't like wet bread. Jersey Mike's bread is terrible. Made soggy. It falls apart in your hand. I can't even. You can't even. Well, eat that's that. what I, I don't. I don't like when it's been sitting in something moist and it gets really mushy. But I don't mind it if I dip it into the juice right. Oh, you just gave me a great idea. Try I'm gonna it out. turn that into dipping sauce too. Jersey Mike's. I don't go there because I don't like when my fan, my sandwich falls apart in my hand, and it happens every time I go there. Okay, so I'm out well, on them. There you go. Number five for me: sweet and sour. Uh, Okay. It's very versatile. Very nice. You know, it's a great sauce for your Chinese food, but it's also the most uh, versatile when it comes to, you know, you could dip your French fries in it. Not that people do that. At McDonald's, they give you the sweet and sour packets. I think it's delicious. I think dipping, dipping chicken into it is delicious. And it's just a – what I've come to find out is that all of my uh, sauces have a ton of sugar in it. Uh, I think that's not a, an accident. And it's just very, very good. And I also like the fact that sweet and sour is also kind of different sometimes. Sometimes it's like red. At, the, at a certain Chinese restaurant, it'll be really, really like bright red. And sometimes it's kind of, uh, you know, kind of a off yellow, uh, depending on where you get it from. But it's always very good. <laughs> it's all very chemically. It's all deadly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number four for me is ketchup. Uh, I like it on my fries. That's pretty much the only place it has to be. I, I like ketchup and mustard on a burger. Sometimes I'll do ketchup and mustard on a hot dog, but sometimes I'll just do mustard on a hot dog. It's not it's not a must-have condiment for me because I, if I get good fries, I don't really need the ketchup, but I do really enjoy dunking some fries and some ketchup. Okay, we'll get back to that. Uh, number four for me is melted cheese. Ooh, that's a that's so. Now this is this could be queso, could be like queso fundido. The type of the type of cheese that you would dip a pretzel into. You know, just melted cheese. Okay, like beer cheese. Beer yeah, cheese. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, think that a lot of people like cheese fries. And I don't like eating fries with a fork, so I never really order cheese fries. But if there's a cup of it, I will dip my fries into it. You could dip a sandwich into it. And it's very versatile. You can dip a pretzel into it. I, who doesn't like melted cheese? It's the foundation of America. <laughs> no, that, I think that's an excellent one. Uh, mine is – my third one is – Kind of like that. So number three for me is buffalo sauce. I know you're saying, well, why don't you put buffalo sauce in your wings? And, and it's fine. I like it if the wing is tossed in a nice, even way. I'm good for. I'm good with it being tossed, and, and just I'm just going to eat it. But I like a side of buffalo sauce to dip my celery in, to dip 
if you get one of the giant pretzel appetizers, I want to dip that in. You like the beer cheese. I actually like, my daughter got me onto this. Yeah, you were talking she about it last dips, week, the, the Domino's Parmesan yeah, twist. Yeah, she dips everything in buffalo sauce, not just the Domino's Parmesan twist. But it's great. She's brilliant. And also, if you go to a place that is not good at doing wings, and and you just, but it's probably not good at doing anything else either. So you order the wings because you know that it probably will screw those up the least. But you do not want the ones that just come bathed in buffalo sauce. You get it all over your fingers. It's not on your it's face too much. Burn. Yeah, it's just too much. So you get the you get the wings dry and you get the buffalo sauce on the side and then you sauce them appropriately. And the one thing that you're not saying about buffalo sauce that has to be taken into account, it's not on my top five, but it should probably be. It's also a very good sauce for healthy eating. It's uh, something that you because there's zero calories in buffalo if, sauce, right? No, no, it has, I mean, the real version of it has butter in it. It's a low calorie, like Frank's buffalo sauce. Isn't it like a low calorie? You dip your celery in it. I'm not saying that all of them are. Some of them are kind of real buffalo sauce. There's butter in it. Now it's, it's, it's good if you're doing keto. I'm Googling buffalo sauce nutrition right now because I, 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 whenever I'm like eating really lean, I always get grilled chicken and, and dip it into buffalo sauce. So, like, I'm looking at Sweet Baby Ray's here. Uh, yeah, it's like 15 calories. There's not, not much bad. in it's it. Not, it's not authentic buffalo sauce. Authentic has, has some butter in it. But, again, if you're doing keto, that's that's not terrible yeah, for you. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not as bad for you. And here's another sauce that didn't make my list it's that should have been. It's not as bad for you as, as mayo. Are you... I'm sure, like, I, I think I already know what your number one's going to be because it didn't make my list and you're going to hate me for it, but blue cheese should have been on, on my list, and it's not. I hate blue cheese. I know, I don't but eat blue cheese I would, I would dunk my entire wing into blue cheese if I could. But buffalo sauce yeah, is no, not even my favorite wing wing sauce. I like so barbecue my, wings. So my wing order, yeah, my wing order is dry rub or or some sort of nice spice, if, if it's available, extra celery, no ranch, no blue cheese, side of buffalo sauce. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I like chicken. I like Parmesan, garlic, and barbecue and teriyaki wings the best. And I don't know if that's offensive because my main man, no, Bill they, Landis, is a big buffalo sauce guy. But I, so I've, I've got, I've got a, a wing rub, a wing dust at my house for when I, when I cook them in the air fryer. Salt and vinegar. The salt and vinegar rub oh, wow. is tremendous. That's also don't probably really very low in calories. Sauce. You don't need sauce with that. It just tastes great. It t- it's kind of like what they put on the chips, and it's awesome. But that with a little buffalo sauce is really good too. Okay, my number three, your favorite thing in the entire world, Thousand Island dressing. <laughs> it's, it's everybody's secret sauce and it's not a secret it just sucks it's ketchup and mayonnaise together and it's delicious and Blech. in other countries uh people dip their fry they get uh mayonnaise packets yeah, and ketchup yeah. packets it's Belgium. and when i've gone yeah. on vacation to europe with my family and they take the two and then they put them together it's delicious or in if, utah they call it fry sauce that's what yeah, i was like fry when sauce I, when I was in Salt Lake City, and there were fries, and it was it was awesome. When I'm making fun of, of Thousand Island being the secret secret dressing or whatever, secret sauce or whatever for everything, the Utah people are like, what about fry sauce? I'm like, you guys know it's just Thousand Island, Yeah, right? well, fry sauce is amazing, and I hate you for not liking mayonnaise. Gross. Gross. 
Look, you can mix mayonnaise with things and make it good. Like pimento cheese is delicious. There's a hell of a lot of mayonnaise. As long as you don't know there. that as long as you don't know there's mayonnaise in it, you're good. Oh no. I know or, there's I mean as long as you can't taste it's, mayonnaise. It's delicious. Right, right. But the ketchup and mayonnaise don't mix together. That's a gross. Where are we on egg salad with you? Can't do it. Smell. Can't. I love eggs, just can't do it. That's interesting. I'm gonna go like Google all mayonnaise based uh or ingredients with mayonnaise as a base ingredient. Or yeah, vine- and- vinegar slaw, love it. Mayonnaise-based slaw, hate it. Thousand Island, all the way. All right. What is, uh, we're up to my number two. My number two is salsa. Salsa is a great multi-purpose dipping. Actually, if you got a good tomatillo salsa, a good salsa verde, that makes a great salad dressing too. If you haven't tried it as a salad dressing, especially like, Sprinkle some ground beef over lettuce with a little Mexican cheese blend and put a good green salsa on it and just mix it all up. It is amazing. That's not a dipping sauce, but obviously you can dip your tortilla chips in it too. Salsa, uh, and my fiance does this, is also a great uh, um, slow cooker sauce. If you put chicken in there and and put salsa in it, green and regular, um, it makes the chicken delicious. Um, But I've, I've done fresh salsa where I've peeled the tomatoes myself and all that, and I've uh, there, there's a, a place down the street for me that makes the best. It's a jalapeno and tomatillo salsa that they roast both of those things and then mash them all up together. It is unbelievable. So I, I just, I love salsa chips and salsa. I will eat way too much of every single time. My number two, honey mustard. Okay. And I, I think what I, fe- I think figured I out that. about myself is that everything that's on my list can be dipped in by a French fry. I think maybe that's where I came. I, I envisioned dipping French fries. So, okay, well, well, okay, well, before we go too far, then, do you dip your French fries in the place where my wife likes to dip her French fries, and that's a frosty? No, I, I, uh, I know people like to do that. I don't want to make fun of people who do that, but it's never sounded appetizing to me. I'm married to one of them. It disgusts me every single time, but she does it and she loves it. Why do people do that? She thinks it's delicious. She said the the sweet and salty is just tremendous. I don't get it. The cold and the hot part bothers me more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Salty, I get. It's the cold and the hot that I don't like. It's just not kosher to me. I, I, it's not something that have have you have you asked the rabbi about this, Ari? (laughs) Rabbi, if I could get kosher uh, fries and a kosher chocolate ice cream, that's kind of half melted. Should I? I mean, it's not it's not mixing milk and meat. It's mixing milk. (laughs) Well, is there even milk in a frosty? Do we know this? It is a dairy uh, dessert, so there is milk in a frost. There's no meat involved at all, so you're good uh, from mm. a it is kosher. reform type of way. It's actually kosher. Uh, yeah. But it just has never jived with me. And, and I, I don't want to knock it because people don't have to like exactly what I like, but it just hasn't been something that I don't I don't think I've ever tried it because it just doesn't seem like it makes sense. You know what else is really good in, in, in honey mustard? Burgers. Corn dog. Corn dog. Every, what's not good in honey mustard? So, sometimes it's a little too sweet for me. Sometimes I want, I want the just sharpness of mustard. I don't want it cut with the sweetness. Also, it's the best Chick Fil A sauce too. Uh, I like Polynesian, but I don't really use the sauce. Like I love their nuggets, and I dip my fries in ketchup. So I'm the type of guy really, that'll take really the sauce, sauce container. There. You know the the Chick Fil A containers that come in the little packets, the plastic mm-hmm. ones yep. you have to rip the top off of. And then I will pour it on my sandwich while I'm eating it. 
so that every bite has honey mustard in it. I think it's delicious. You need a, you really need a honey mustard fountain, is what you're saying. Yes. Like a, at like like at Golden Corral, instead of the chocolate fountain, we do a honey mustard fountain, and you like you just stick your sandwich underneath there and pull it back every bite. I would do that. I think it's delicious. And there's a chain restaurant in Arizona called Islands, and I think they're in California too. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's just like a. I think they're in it's Oregon. It's a burger too, place with great French fries, and it's a sit-down place, and they've got the best honey mustard on the face of the earth. And I'll go there specifically mm. because of their like. I've gone to a restaurant because of their honey mustard, not their food. I like it that much. So my my number one Ari is mustard, just mustard, but all of the mustard, yellow mustard, deli mustard, stone ground mustard. I love it all. Does honey mustard fall mustard into that category? Because that's I'm in too the mood for it. But but I I want the sharpness. Mustard is my most versatile condiment. I will put it on almost any sandwich. I'll put it on every hot dog. I'll put it on every burger. Would you it ever is, dip it a French a fry into mustard? Con- I have. My daughter will just dip fries in yellow mustard when she's not dipping them into buffalo sauce. I'd, I'd rather go ketchup, but. I can be talked into mustard. Mustard is a great condiment and certainly very versatile. It's not something I dip stuff into. And I'm uh, a very big I, deli d- mustard fan. Deli mustard's a great thing to have on a sandwich or a hot dog even. I don't know that I would ever I will, dip, I will a, dip a, a fry. I will dip a fry into mustard. I will dip a pretzel in a pretzel. Pretzel into in mustard. Is mustard is yes. one of the greatest things in the world. If we're, if we're thinking about pretzel, then you you are absolutely correct. Um, but I would prefer the also, mustard. There, well, actually, there honey times, mustard is my favorite pretzel. There are times when I'll dip a sandwich into mustard, Ari. Yeah. To to get the right, like like you with your honey mustard, your, your Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I would dip pretzels into honey mustard. Like actual from a yeah. bag, the crunchy ones. But so like a ham and cheese sandwich or a turkey and cheese sandwich, like you get a cup of, of stone ground mustard, Instead of spreading it where you don't necessarily get as much as you like in each bite, you can dip and get the, the perfect amount of mustard on each bite. Have you ever dipped potato chips? I have. I'm never, I never feel quite comfortable doing it. It's weird. You give me a bag of, of tortilla chips and I'll dip away. But a bag of like ruffles, which actually are strong enough to stand up to a dip, I, I'm not a huge like I don't like people would buy the old sour cream and chive dip or the the cheddar dip for pretzels. I was never a big dipper of those because I would I would dip the just the crunchy pretzels pretzel sticks or the regular small ones like this like mm-hmm. the size of of your hand into mustard or honey mustard sauce or even ketchup. Oh yeah, which is my number one. Ketchup is the most important condiment in dipping sauce on the face of the earth. It goes on everything. I think it enhances everything. Um, now this is Heinz ketchup. Wait, wait. I think some of the does it go? Yes, Heinz, Heinz is the only ketchup you should be eating, uh, unless it's some sort of like the sriracha ketchup is actually pretty good. What but, a bur- burger right. spicy ketchup is very good, but for the lack of it is awesome. Yeah. Yes. Uh, now you say it goes on everything and enhances everything. That isn't true, because if you do, you put ketchup on chili dogs. I don't. I couldn't tell you the last time I had a chili dog. You would not put ketchup on it. That, that just because you've already got some tomato element with the chili. Like I can't imagine putting ketchup on a chili dog. Let me phrase it this this way. I put ketchup on a hot dog. Yeah. There is nothing that doesn't already have like I wouldn't put pizza in ketchup or something. 
And the funny thing is- I will tell you what I used to dip in ketchup as a kid that I probably wouldn't do now. Remember Long John Silver's chicken planks? Yeah. I would dip those suckers in ketchup. So I wanted day. the reason why I wanted to bring this up. I would dip them in mustard now. And I by think the way. even you might have been a part of this conversation now that I think about it. Two years okay. ago at the Michigan game in Ann Arbor, when we oh, you right, and Landis were hanging out, Michigan, Ohio they State. had chicken yep. fingers as the yes. meal. And yes. I got ketchup and dipped my chicken fingers into ketchup. And Landis yes. ridiculed me for that. He says, what are you, like five years I, old? And I'm like trying to think I to myself, do people think that dipping chicken fingers into ketchup is gross or weird? I would dip them in the mustard unbelievable. ketchup. Ketchup is the most natural dipping sauce on earth. Like, I would I'm dip them in the mustard the or honey mustard before ketchup. I would dip it into ketchup. I would dip it into mayonnaise. I would dip it into honey mustard. And Thousand Island dressing. I would even sweet and sour or on a really crazy day, melted cheese. I think but would that, you could you on a train? Would you yes. could you on a plane? Yes. But like it's fine if it's not your preferred sauce, but I thought that and I think that you were part of this. Now that I remember this. Uh, you guys yeah, ridiculed I, me I would, like I was a five year old. I would ridicule you for dipping chicken fingers in ketchup because it is like what a five year old would do. But is that like an there was odd mustard thing? there? There was perfectly good mustard there. Was was there is it odd that an adult would dip a chicken finger into ketchup? It's like putting ketchup on a steak. I disagree emphatically. Okay, Patrick Mahomes. And I also I also don't think that ketchup on a steak is awful. I would never do it. I went to a very nice steakhouse with my father uh, the other night. Had a great dinner. Didn't even dawn on me to order ketchup, but it doesn't disgust me. It should. It's an insult. It's like an insult to the co- if the steak is slap it, you. If the steak is bad. Or the steak is a sirloin. If the steak is bad, put A1 on it. Yeah. That's what it was made for. I just, I mean, it's beef. I mean, we put, we put. Or some Heinz 57, which is kind of like ketchup, but not really. It's beef. You put but it on your Heinz hamburger. Heinz 57 why is, it? is ketchup. Much different. Heinz 57 is ketchup you can get away with. I would dip in anything social in situations. I, I think it's I think it's so strange to me that people would be almost like offended that I dip the chicken finger into dip, a ketchup. Okay, anything, anything. All right, Maybe all right. not pizza. Would you dip a hard would you dip a hard-boiled egg into ketchup? Yeah. It doesn't just... Dis- I think it's in, natural and everything. into ketchup. No, because there's tomato sauce on it. That's that's weird. Okay, well, all right. Okay. I'll, I'll let you get away with that one. Would you dip... I would dip a potato chip into ketchup. I have. A pineapple... All right, okay. That one I will let slide because I love fries and ketchup, and I understand that. And also, they make ketchup-flavored potato chips in Canada. Yeah. If you have a, which at first glance I was like, salted potato chip, and you have a little ketchup on your plate. Really, what's what is the difference between that and dipping a fry mm. in ketchup? I got you. I'm I'm good with that. Would you dip a pineapple spear into ketchup? No, but you wouldn't dip fruit into anything outside of whipped cream. You maybe. said anything. No, I know, but like you it, said anything. anything within reason. I mean, you don't have to like go off into weird world. Right. If, I think if you something else we've talked about dipping into the sauces we've talked about tonight. Would you dip a celery stick into ketchup? It wouldn't be something that I would reach for, but if somebody told me to do it, it wouldn't disgust me. Wrong! It would disgust you. No, I would do it. Would you dip a Would you dip a carrot into ketchup? Can you just take fruits and vegetables off the list? You we're said anything. About, I know, but like we're talking right. about like. Okay, I said all right. I talked about dipping a ham and cheese sandwich into like a stone ground mustard. 
Would you dip a ham and cheese sandwich yes. in the ketchup? I would put ketchup Ew. on the sandwich. That's so wrong. I would Don't take a turkey sandwich, a turkey and Swiss sandwich, and dip it in the ketchup. If I'm making oh. a sandwich at home, I'd put ketchup on the sandwich. There's always ketchup in my fridge. I love ketchup. Do You're people not put ketchup on their sandwiches? They put ketchup on their burgers, which are technically sandwiches. I put ketchup on my Philly cheesesteak, which I think is dog. also offensive to Landis. We, we can get into the is, is a hot dog a sandwich discussion. I think that if, if you're one really of these people it. who gets wound up about somebody putting ketchup on a hot dog, you need to like get a hobby. Who gives a crap? It's a perfectly natural place to put ketchup. People have incredibly strong opinions about the condiments Why? that go on hot dogs for some reason. Why? I remember who cares? I was so as a kid, my dad my dad was an assistant high school football coach, and I remember after a game, the concession stand had a bunch of hot dogs left over. And so they asked me to take the leftover hot dogs into the locker room to give to the coaching staff. And I remember handing one to one of the coaches and he sees that there's mustard on it. He goes, I'd rather eat dirt. And I'm like, do you really hate mustard that much or ketchup that like neither of those should evoke that what, strong is mustard of an or something opinion. that you're not supposed to put on a hot dog either. Well, he, he for him, apparently not. He might yes, not, he it, just it, might it, not it, like it, mustard, but it's a very regular right. condiment. It's a very accepted condiment. So is ketchup. There are a lot more people who are who are just very offended by the idea of ketchup. It's weird. See, if you go to a place and get get a a hot dog, they always have ketchup available because people do it. Yeah. Now I wouldn't put ketchup on a chili dog, as we discussed. Yeah, it doesn't vibe. It doesn't mesh. But it wouldn't disgust me. Have a tomato element on the chili dog. If you put ketchup on a tomato on a chili dog, I would still eat it. I don't think that ketchup ketchup doesn't disgust me in anything. It wouldn't taste quite right, but yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't make me gag or throw up or anything. It just wouldn't taste quite right. But yeah, I am not offended. And I put when I have a hot dog, just a plain you know bun with a dog in it, I'll put ketchup and mustard, or I'll dip it in mustard. I just I'll dip I, I like I'll dip to a dip hot dog in into ketchup once there's already biting it. That's fine. I will dip a burger into ketchup sometimes too. I will dip a burger into honey mustard. I will dip a burger into mayonnaise. I will dip a burger into ketchup. All right, Ari, I am. We've we've gone we've spelunked far enough into that cave you call a mind. This is uh this has been very educational. I just don't under the thing I don't understand is why ketchup is offensive to so many people. It's a very natural, common sauce. And they have them. I realize ch- this is a this is an audio medium, but if you could see the video I'm watching now, the lights have gone down. It has gone dark in Ari's house, and he's basically a disembodied floating head on yeah. my screen, which makes it funnier because it looks like I'm watching a genie talk about ketchup. I should have hit the lights in the room before we, when we started, but it was light out when we started, and it got dark. This is, this is tremendous. <laughs> I can't believe we've gone this far into your mind. We'll have to come up with a really good random ranking for next week because... I just want to. I keep. I, I want to keep digging further. But this is the until problem. We hit gold. The fact that it's so weird is like so dumbfounding to me. If you're an adult and you dip your chicken finger into ketchup, come on over. We can enjoy lunch together. And if you get mad about it and you're an adult, then I. I don't know what to tell you. I'd send my kids over, but they're now twelve and ten, so they're too old for that. Sorry. Yeah, it's just weird that they have it as an option at every single chicken finger place on the face of the earth. I wonder why. Because there's somebody like you, and they know it. And there's a lot of me. Be aware. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. (laughs) We'll talk to you on Wednesday.